Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Welcome to episode 50. I can't believe it. We made it to 50 in a little over a year of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Hey, I want to thank you. I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for downloading and listening. In this episode of the podcast, it was recorded during the recent uh, SAS ALPO Symposium in Ontario, California. And ALPO member Brian Kudnick, he gave a really great talk, talking about Prairie View Observatory and the upcoming Pro-Am Ed experience. It's a really great talk. Um, I recorded it in a theater, so the sound might not be perfect. I want to apologize up front for that, but I hope you enjoy it. And also, the slides that he refers to are also available in the show notes, so you can click on those and follow along. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena, and publishes them in the detailed reports of these bodies in the quarterly publication known as the Journal of the Association of Lunar Planetary Observers, but I like to call it the Strolling Astronomer. Hey, this podcast depends upon donations from you. Yes, you, I'm talking to you in your car, our listeners that keep it alive. If you really enjoy what you hear, please help us out. It costs a lot of money to put this podcast online for advertising and bandwidth and everything else. If you can give as little as a dollar a month, I would appreciate it. For $5 a month, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive the handbook for the ALPO training program called the Novice Observer's Handbook. And if you really feel generous, for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast and a one-year's membership to the ALPO. You can help us out by going to patreon.com slash observersnotebook. If you'd like to join the ALPO, if you're making observations of meteor showers or Mars disopposition or anything else, join us. It's only cost $14 a year. You can find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please, please, please subscribe. That way you never miss an episode of the Observer's Notebook podcast. And now, I hope you enjoy Brian's talk on the Prairie View Observatory and Pro-Am-Ed experience. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning. Um, Good to be up here again to share a little bit about what we're doing um, in our uh, exciting program. Um, First off, I want to just, uh, I always get to do this over here, but I just want to introduce um, the players of this uh, program just really quickly, of course, yours truly myself. Um, I'm actually doing a three-for-one special today, and I actually have three topics uh, in this talk, and and, and we're going to go through each of these three, hopefully within the 20 minutes that I'm allotted. 
Uh, I'm the coordinator of the Lunar Meteoritic Impact Search Section of ALPHO, so I'm going to give a brief update as to what's new in the Lunar um, Meteor Impact Studies. Um, I'm Munir Rahman, um, he's uh, one of our graduate students, he's actually an electrical engineering um, PhD candidate, and he's been really um, instrumental in uh, working with our program. Uh, Prem Kumar Sigante, he's the program coordinator and the principal investigator uh, of the uh, uh, Radiation Institute for Science and Engineering, which is a research lab that we've established about four years ago, and he's also um, uh, the PI for the observatory project, which I'll talk about in just a few minutes. And then Gary Erickson, of course, he's been helping out with a lot of things uh, in the department. Um, I play a uh, multifaceted role in our physics department. Um, I'm informally known as the resident astronomer, since I'm the only person that has a pure astronomy degree. I also coordinate the physics and physical science labs. I, I teach classes, usually a class or two per semester. I help with the administrative detail, especially at the beginning of the semester, etc. Haven't had time for much research in recent years, but hopefully that will change uh, in the coming years. Um, Prairie View A&M University is what's called a, an HBCU, a historically black college university. Um, most of the students are black. We do have students from all over the world and all over, all over the country attending our university. Um, the little um, seals that we see along the top of this introductory slide are the partners in this uh, satellite project that I will talk about a little bit later. Um, we're getting, yes, we're getting ready to launch another satellite with the help of JAXA. Um, and of course, we're also working with the Kyushu Institute of Technology um, in Japan and NASA uh, Johnson Space Center. So, okay. So uh, the last two talks were especially interesting to me since one of the things that I do is manage the solar observatory, and this is what the solar observatory looks like in its present form. Actually, this is what it looked like um, just before we did the renovation of the exterior and the lower level of the interior. Um, we're actually going to move on to. Um, or refurbishing the telescope itself, which has fallen under a state of disrepair. Um, this observatory had been active in the past since 1998. Um, as a matter of fact, I had uh, observed on it full time for the first three years of my uh, nearly 20 years at Prairie View A&M University. Um, we were focusing on um, active regions, prominences, and so forth. Um, this is actually the starting point of a much bigger project that I will get to in just a few minutes. So. Um, Going back to my, putting on my elbow hat now, um, being the coordinator of the Meteoritic Impact Search section, um, I want to just bring a brief update as to what uh, some of the latest um, um, events that we were able to record. Um, I've partnered with Tony Cook uh, of the British Astronomical Association, and we had uh, set up an event where we uh, got people around the world to observe the moon for the impacts of lunar geminid meteors. Um, and so we actually were able to um, get five uh, confirmed meteor impacts on the moon, um, including a group in um, um, Greece um, that is running a one-meter telescope. It's a group called Now Iota, and it's, a, it's in the midst of a 22-month program and looking for faint meteoroid impacts. The reason why I have Jupiter on here and not, not the moon is that one of, our, one of my ambitious goals for the Stu Observatory at Prairie View is to set up a patrol to keep an eye on Jupiter, not only to follow its weather patterns, its changing weather patterns, but also to monitor the planet for meteoroid impacts, such as the one that's seen here near the top of the image. Um, this was taken by Sabiao 
head drag of Kalu um, in France. Um, this was recorded actually a little over a year ago um, at 21:24 Central European Standard Time. This was actually 12 minutes before sunset. By the way, that's one of the best times to observe Jupiter is just after sunset as it's getting dark uh, because of the contrast um, with the uh, uh, fading twilight. So this is an image from Nell Iota of one of the impacts. Um, you see the impact in the uh, red box. And also the two uh, smaller images show what the impact looks like in the R filter and in the I filter. They actually um, observed this in two filters um, and notice that the I image looks uh, brighter than the R image. These impacts give off most of their lights, uh, most of their uh, flux in the infrared. So this is the uh, quick shameless plug that if you're interested in getting involved in such studies, um, we're still active at the Lunar Meteorite Impact Search section and we can always use observations, especially um, during times of major showers and of course you can subscribe to the Lunar Meteor, the Lunar Impacts Listserv um, or talk to me after the um, after this talk for more information. So again, the Prairie View Solar Observatory was established in 1998, and that was the reason why I came to Prairie View in the first place, was to work on the solar telescope. Um, what this is, it's a 35 centimeter, um, or about a 14 inch, Gregorian solar telescope. Um, and it's vacuum, the, the top part of the tube is evacuated so as to minimize distortion from seeing. So currently we have the uh, main telescope, which is able to focus on a region of the sun about seven arc minutes across. So that's enough to capture an active region and or part of the filament structure. Um, observations also included solar, solar flares, uh, prominences, filaments, and the occasional planetary transit, specifically the transit of Mercury in November 1999. Um, the, the facility, unfortunately, is in disrepair, um, but a grant from the Department of Education has helped us to begin refurbishing uh, this uh, telescope in the observatory, and we're in the process of bringing it back to life. Um, there were a number of um, professional papers and conference posters that were produced during um, the peak of Prairie View Solar Observatory's uh, production, and I've authored, I, I was co-author or author of a few of those papers. Um, the latest is that we are moving forward with an expansion of the observatory. We do have um, a grant from the Department of Education that we have to use uh, rather quickly, so we're fast-tracking this project. As a matter of fact, our next meeting is on Monday um, to uh, go over the latest plans of the observatory. So what we plan to do is we plan to have a ground-level observing deck for astronomy classes. Um, we actually are Department of Chemistry and Physics with the physics program. We don't have an astronomy program as of yet, but hopefully at some point in the future we can change this, uh, but we do plan to use this uh, uh, observatory for a number of uh, for a number of uh, activities. Um, the title of the talk, Pro Am Ed. Um, I'm very fond of pro professional amateur collaborations, um, and I'm a big advocate of that. That's why I've been, it's one of the reasons why I've been attending these meetings the last several years. But we're also going to add another dimension to this, and that's Ed. So as we're um, as we're um, doing our professional amateur collaborations, we're also going to use these to educate the general public. So we're going to not only have the observatory available for use by our students and faculty, but we're also going to have collaborations with the area astronomy clubs, such as the Houston Astronomical Society, which I'm a member of, um, and interested members of the general public. So currently we plan to have a one dome with an Astrohaven clamshell um, housing a 16-inch meat telescope. 
and a second dome housing a plane weight one meter telescope. That's a recent development that we were surprised pleasantly that we actually have the extra money to purchase this. So we're going to get these set up within the next, actually the infrastructures will be set up by the end of the year. The telescope, you know, we already have the meat telescope. We need to get the plane weight, which uh, if we order next month, we should get that by the summer of 2019. So this is the uh, latest drawing of the observatory. It doesn't include the dome that houses the plane wave. The dome on the right um, shows the um, existing solar um, observatory. The dome that's a little bit higher is the Astrohaven um, dome that's going to house the 16-inch, uh, uh, excuse me, 16-inch uh, meat telescope. Not shown. Um, there's actually a, a trapezoidal-shaped uh, uh, building that's going to be the visitor center, and it has a high ceiling to enable us to install a planetarium. We may include a planetarium in the mix as well. So that's very exciting. Dr. Erickson's actually pushing that very hard. But in front of that visitor center will be another dome with an ash dome that will house the uh, one meter telescope. So we're fast-tracking this. We're hoping to get this completed by the end of this year. Um, to the right, you might see a little uh, thick line going to the right. That's where the observing deck will be located. This is one of the early renditions that made it into the print edition of this paper that I'm presenting. We wanted to have an observing deck at the second level elevated, sort of like the picture that's shown in the lower left part of the image. Um, unfortunately, that became a little bit tricky for construction, and so what we need to do is we need to simplify it a little bit to make it, uh, to increase the probability that we'll get this done uh, <clears throat> in time. So the observation deck was moved towards the front um, and set at ground level. We still have the original in place. We'll have the, uh, um, we actually were going to house the 14 and the 16 inch bead scopes, but we decided to go with one scope, one dome instead of two scopes under one dome, and then the one meter plane wave. So um, if all goes well again, we'll have everything uh, built by, uh, 20, uh, by the end of this year. The uh, scope will be installed, the plane wave scope, will be installed in mid-2019, um, and we hope to have the solar observatory back online, and hopefully the sun will start getting a little bit active. We're getting the solar observatory online just in time for solar minimum when all the active regions and the sunspot and the uh, filaments disappear. Um, but you can follow our progress at www.pbamu.edu forward slash pbso, and I'll be putting regular um, updates um, as to our progress. So um, some of the uses that I dream about with regards to this observatory, again, university faculty and staff, along with their students, uh, plan to have classes there. We teach a large number of introductory physical science classes, and so we want to incorporate activities at the observatory uh, and with these classes. Um, also, um, classes for teaching laboratory, we do offer the occasional astronomy class, but we hope to get the uh, astronomy classes offered a little bit more frequently with more enrollment. Um, individual scientists within the department, including myself, working on various research projects, will be other users that will include other, well, will be um, also using the facility. And then we'll have open houses, open houses and viewing sessions for the general public, special celestial events, for example. Um, and area amateur astronomers will be able to take advantage of this as well. We'll um, collaborate with area astronomy clubs and if there's any, anyone interested. Um, there's a similar setup in the Houston area with the Fort Bend Astronomy Club and their George Observatory, which has a 1.2 meter telescope. So we might model that after that collaboration. So we're going to promote collaborations between professionals, amateurs, and educational personnel, hence the pro-am-ed uh, statement uh, in the title of this uh, 
course. Um, and again, these are some projects that are listed, and I do plan to use some of the, uh, uh, try out some of the projects that I've learned about in this symposium, including deep images of active H2 regions. One of the things that we do want to do is make a narrow band catalog of active regions, uh, where we take the active regions um, in, through narrow band, the standard narrow band filters, H-alpha, O3, and so forth, um, and we want to build a catalog of H2 regions, planetary nebulae, and also um, uh, supernova remnants. Um, asteroidal and planetary occultations, and of course, lunar meteoro meteoroid studies. Um, since the Nell Iota project in Greece has a finite shelf life, so to speak, 22 months, um, we can pick up where they left off with the one meter, with our own one meter telescope, hopefully get a uh, regular patrol um, going on with that. Um, and this is a nice image of M81 to the right um, that was taken by one of our collaborators, Doug Holland. So, uh, so we have the, um, so I put in the plug for ALPO and Lunar Meteor Studies, um, also our observatory, our developing observatory, which uh, most of which should be completed by the end of the year in first light, by, excuse me, mid-2019. Another thing that we're working on is a new microsatellite. Several years ago I gave a talk discussing our TENFO project, I mean our uh, uh, Shining 2 project. That microsatellite launched with the uh, Hayabusa 2 um, satellite. Hayabusa 2 is um, getting ready to encounter um, the asteroid Ryugu. I forget, I don't, know, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but um, that should be an interesting encounter in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, the uh, Shining 2 satellite is currently in orbit between Venus and Mars, and it swings by the Earth every December. Unfortunately, the signal is so weak that it's very challenging to uh, um, pick it up from the Earth. Um, this is a view of the launch of uh, Shining 2 back in December of 2014. Um, and then this is the container on the left, the container uh, that Shining 2 was placed as it was launched into space. Um, Tenpro CPD will be placed in a similar container um, and launched um, sometime September, October time frame. Uh, just a, quick, uh, a couple of quick factoids. Um, Tenpo will actually be launched in low Earth orbit with an inclination of 93 degrees. It will be a polar sun-synchronous orbit. Um, it will be broadcasting in 437.5 megahertz, although the, the actual uh, frequency may be slightly different when we actually um, get this thing launched and tested out. And there will be receiving stations um, in Japan, um, Texas, um, Hawaii, Alaska, Mexico, Brazil, and we're also planning to set up a receiving station at the Prairie View Observatory. So um, TENCO is going to be launched in a similar, a similar container as shown on the left uh, in this image, um, and um, that's actually another, um, so that's actually the Hayabusa 2 satellite on the right, getting ready to drop its payload. That's going to actually happen in a few weeks, so that's going to be really exciting to see the outcome. And again, this is the orbit of the Shining 2, takes it out um, almost to the um, distance of Mars. And it took uh, Green Bank um, Telescope, um, the power of that antenna, to receive the signal from Shining 2. And we did manage to receive um, some information from that satellite in December of 2015. Now, the advantage of this new satellite, um, Tenco CPD, the CPD stands for Charged Particle Detector. And that um, will detect the various forms of charged particles um, that we see in low Earth orbit. Um, so again, a 600 kilometer or about 320 mile orbit, inclined 93 degrees. Um, the PBMU payload, the Tenco payload, will be the primary, will, will deal with primarily radiation science. Um, and this is a little bit more sophisticated. By the way, Tenco means heavenly light um, in Japanese. 
Um, and this is a little bit more sophisticated than the Shining 2. The Shining 2 satellite only had two CMOS detectors that were set up to detect radiation hits. Um, this will actually have eight detectors, and the hemispherical projections that we see are actually made of material that simu simulates um, human flesh and spacesuit uh, fabric, and there's detectors within those to map out the radiation um, that passes through those materials to get a better idea of the long-term exposure to uh, um, humans um, in low Earth orbit. Um, the silver, um, uh, it looks like a silver um, um, rectangular uh, uh, apparatus that has the blue wires coming out of it. Um, that's what's called a Lulin spectrometer, um, and the purpose of that is to measure the uh, flux of galactic cosmic rays, um, cosmic rays that come from the uh, from the uh, Earth's uh, radiation belt, and uh, actually uh, those are charged particles that come from the Earth's radiation belt, galactic cosmic rays, and charged particles that come from energetic solar particle events um, or high. Um, potent flares, the X-class flares, um, X-class is the most powerful type of solar flare um, in the X-ray category. So um, this is equipped with eight sensors um, and also the Lulin spectrometer, um, which will be making measurements um, continuously um, in low Earth orbit. And this is a close-up of one of the sides, the circular um, the washer uh, thing on the left surrounds the detector, and then one of the hemispherical um, encasings. Um, on the right, and it's uh, the, the circuit board is printed in prairie view, purple, and gold. So again, here's another view of the uh, device. The Lulin uh, spectrometer was put together by a group in Bulgaria, the Bulgaria Academy of Sciences. So this is truly an international project. Um, another view showing the various features, the x-ray detectors, um, the 3D printed structure, which is the gray uh, frame skeleton, uh, polyethylene spheres, polystyrene spheres, the Lulin spectrometer, and an open sensor um, to directly measure the charged particles that um, hit the sensor. So um, this is part of the uh, Radiation Institute for Science and Engineering. Again, this is a uh, research lab that um, does radiation biology, among other things. Um, studying the effects of uh, radiation on human cells. Um, we work with NASA Johnson Space Center with this. Um, and so one of the outcomes is the satellite that will be launched sometime in September, October. Um, I have uh, flyers in the back. Um, if you're interested in learning more about this, I have this information sheet. And I also have a sign-in sheet. Um, the advantage of this particular project over the one a couple of years ago is that it should be easier to pick up the signal since the satellite is in low Earth orbit and it will be um, We'll be able to listen to the signal for about 20 minutes per pass every, every 90 minutes or so. So if you're interested in trying to listen in on the 10th um, uh, satellite, um, put your name and email address and I'll be in contact with you. I'll give you updates as the project develops and as the project as the uh, satellite is launched and everything gets um, um, established in space. Um, I'd be glad to uh, be able to share this with you, those of you that are interested um, in listening for the radio signals. Um, so I'm going to stop before I run out, of run, out of, run out of time so that way people can have a chance to ask questions. And thank you very much for your attention. Well, that'll do it for this episode, the 50th episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. And I want to thank Brian for coming on and speaking at the SAS ALPO uh, Symposium in Ontario and allowing us to share his talk on the Observer's Notebook. 
We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on now on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Echo. Just about anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can hear The Observer's Notebook. You can also support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. I talked about it at the beginning. The link is in the show notes. But I really want to thank the producer of this podcast. He gives that little extra every single month. That's Steve Seidentop. Thank you, Steve, for your generous continued support of The Observer's Notebook. This podcast would not survive without your help. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. If you want to join the ALPO, again, membership begins at only $14 a year. What's that, two cups of coffee at Starbucks? Come on now, you can do that. You can find out more at www.alpoastronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And the podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Come on. Go over there. Click on Join and be a part of the conversation. Just search for Observer's Notebook. Until next time, my hope is that you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you very much for listening.